0: I don't know. Funny thing happened a few years ago when I was driving, I'm not sure if this has happened to you before or not, but I've been driving with a full tank of gas, it was up, like the gas gauge was up at the F at the very top, and and it looked like the more I drove, the more that needle would start to go down towards the E. Crazy, right? And, And the more I drove, the more it dropped, and eventually, after spending like a day or two hovering by the E, my van just stopped. And I thought, something has gone terribly wrong. Like, obviously, through no fault of my own, the van has developed some kind of internal issue. I don't know what was going on. The key was in the ignition. My foot was on the gas. I was doing all the right things. I just wasn't getting anywhere. I just couldn't make the van move forward. And uh, apparently, vehicles run on this substance called gasoline. And the more you drive them, the the, the more you have to put more gas in. You have to do this forever. You just drive, you have to fill it back up again. It never ends. You just have to keep filling it back up if you want it it to get you from place to place to place. And uh, obviously, that's something we learned when we were like six years old. Cars take gas. You know, if you're going to drive, you need to put gas in, it's going to run out. You're going to need to put gas in, it's going to run out. And, and it's just this never-ending cycle that you will have to do forever. And even as we develop new technology, and, and we have cars that are running on kind of electrical battery, you still have to charge it. You're still gonna have to go somewhere and plug it in, and that's one of the major kind of things that they're gonna have to figure out if they want those to be on the road uh, in kind of mass quantities soon, is you're gonna have to find places to plug them in. In other words, nothing can run forever Without needing to be refilled or recharged at some point. Nothing can run forever without needing to be recharged. And that goes for us too. That goes for all of us. Now, we don't run on gas. <laughs> I'm resisting a dad joke right here. But in the same way, we do run on, on this kind of rhythm, this cycle of wakefulness, of work, of play, of expending energy. But eventually, at some point, your body's like, I'm done you're getting down towards the E, and you have to kind of fall asleep. You have to get rest so that you can kind of get back some of the energy. You need to refill because tomorrow is going to happen, and you're going to expend, and and you're going to spend all that energy, and then eventually you're going to have to go back to sleep again. And it's going to have to happen forever. You're going to have to live in this rhythm of, of rest and work and rest and work. The problem is that it feels like we live in a culture where we're being asked to spend more than, than it seems like we're filling up. It's, it seems like we're working at a pace that, that's asking us to give more than we have the opportunity to replenish. In other words, it feels like we're trying to put $10 worth of gas in the car and, and make it go for $50 worth of kilometers. And it won't work. You know that it won't work in your vehicle, but there are still people who think, I'll be okay. This restless five hours of sleep will certainly get me through the next 15 hours and again tomorrow and the next day. But I'll be fine and we won't be fine because we need to replenish. We need to recharge. We need to make sure that, that we're taking care of ourselves. And I don't need to kind of spout off all kinds of statistics about how our world is bad at rest, uh, about all of the, kind of this epidemic of health issues because of overwork, because of workaholism, because of a lack of sleep, sleep deprivation, of not taking care of ourselves, all the stress that comes along with it and all of the health issues. You, you, you get unrested. You, you get kind of burned down enough and, and you've got health issues. It, it's going to turn into some mental issues. It certainly is going to affect your spiritual health you, you can't live the fullness of your life if you are constantly running on empty. And so I want to talk today about rest. I want to talk about how we could probably manage to get better at rest and, and really how rest honors God, that rest is God's idea that it's the way he wired us to be, that he invites us to participate in rest, and then it's for our benefit. And so I wanna talk about rest and how it's good for you, for your families, for our church, and for the kingdom. If our ability to rest is broken, everything else will be broken. That's not an overstatement. If your ability to rest is broken, everything else is gonna be broken. And so I want to talk about that. We're in the third week of our vision series, and a couple of weeks ago we launched this thing and we talked a lot about how we've been feeling very strongly that this is a year of health for our church, that we really need to simplify and slow down and kind of reevaluate what we do and why we do it as we seek God and we want to honor Him and kind of follow His leading. And so we talked about health, and last week we talked about community. And about how we need to make an effort to make sure that we're seeing one another, caring for one another, praying for one another, loving one another, that we're not missing people, that we're not just a crowd, but there's a family here, that we would be fulfilling God's vision for humanity when when He called us to live together in community as a church and as a people. We challenged you to invite people into your homes for meals, to talk to each other, to hear each other's stories. And so today I want to share with you how we've been feeling that this year also needs to really be a year of rest for our church, rest for our staff and their families, rest for our volunteers and their families, and rest for everyone and their families, for you, for all of us, because I don't think that we'll get to health if we don't figure out rest. You won't get to wholeness until you figure out rest. And so we want to talk about this. We want to make sure that we're getting this right and understanding what God meant when he said, I need you to rest. I think this will be a pivotal value for us this year. And so we're going to be in the book of Joshua. And uh, the context in the passage we're about to read is that Joshua has led all of God's people into the promised land. They're finally there. They're, they're kind of at the edge. They, they've made it. And uh, you'll remember that when they first get to the promised land, they kind of send some spies out to get a sneak peek at this place. And, and they were really excited about finally having their own land that God was going to give them. But when they went and got a look at it, instead of seeing this kind of vast, kind of uninhabited, wonderful piece of land, they saw a very inhabited piece of land full of their enemies. Which, I don't know if this is how they felt. I feel like it was to uh, some... Y- like, ripped off a little bit? You ever, like, bought into this great sales pitch only to discover later that there was some fine print that you weren't aware of? I feel like that's a little bit how they felt about the promised land because God was saying, I've got this land for you flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to give it to you. It's going to be yours. It's going to be wonderful. And, and I, 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 like, if I had to bend them, I'm envisioning a comically large red bow on a tree with a welcome mat that says, like, here's your gift, here's the land I brought you, it's going to be wonderful. But instead, they see giants, they see enemies that need to be defeated, they see work, they see danger, they, they, they see a lot of things that don't look like a free piece of land. And so, this is where we pick up in Joshua chapter 1, verse 10. It says, Joshua Then commanded the officers of Israel, go through the camp and tell the people to get their provisions ready. In three days, you will cross the Jordan River and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you. Then Joshua called together the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and he told them, remember what Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. The Lord your God is giving you a place of what? Rest. Rest. He has given you this land. Your wives, children, and livestock may remain here in the land Moses assigned to you on the east side of the Jordan River, but your strong warriors, fully armed, must lead the other tribes across the Jordan to help them conquer their territory. Stay with them until the Lord gives them what? As he has given you what? What? And until they too possess the land the Lord your God is giving them, only then may you return and settle here on the east side of the Jordan River in the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, assigned to you. So there's, there's some pretty interesting wording in here as we read through this passage that God is using the word rest synonymously with the word land. He's going to enter into a place of rest, your land. He's he's going to give you this land, your place of rest. I don't know about you, but I didn't know those two words were synonymous. I have never once referred to a piece of land or a location as being rest. If anything, it's usually the opposite. Hey, kids, let's get ready for school. It's a place of rest. It is not. You get up and go to work on Monday morning. Oh, my workplace is a place of rest. Probably not. Even vacations, people say, oh, it's, can't wait to go have a vacation. Depending on your season of life, vacations are not restful. Remember a few years ago, we had uh, an awesome opportunity. We kind of connected it with a, a work conference, but we got to take our kids to Disney. It was awesome. It was not restful. Crowds and chaos and concessions and lineups, trying to take three kids on the monorail alone. is not rest. It was delightful, a magical place. We were exhausted when we got home. It's not rest. So why is God calling a piece of land rest? And so it's important as we talk about this subject to first kind of clarify that when when the Bible refers to rest, it is not simply referring to sleep. It's not just talking about a nap. It's talking about something that's much larger, kind of all-encompassing. He's not talking about entering into a land flowing with blankets and pillows Though that sounds also magical and delightful. It's something way bigger than that. The biblical picture of rest is one of completeness. It's one of wholeness. It's one of something being finished and done. It's over and now I get to rest. It's the picture you get when there's, you have like a bunch of families over and your counters are stacked with dishes and plates and cups and that moment you're finally done them and you're like, oh. You can rest because it's done, it's finished. When you've got a checklist that you work through and it's all over and you kind of exhale and you're like, okay, I can do this, that, that's rest. It comes with a picture of finality, of completion. Uh, you can see this when God created the world. This is the pattern that he kind of lays out for us. He creates light and day, he says it's day one, it's good. He, he creates the fish and, and birds and animals. He gets all the way through things. And when he's done, what does he do? he rests. He says I finished, I'm completed. I did all the things I needed to do, and he says so today is going to be a day of rest. This is Genesis 2:1. It says so the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the 7th day God had finished his work of creation, so he rested. You, you see those words in there. That's, that's the picture of what rest really is. And so it's not just a nap. It's not just sitting down for a few minutes to catch your breath. It, it's this picture of kind of finality of, of something being done. And so when you think about it in this context, what, what's the history that the Israelites are just coming out of? It's one of slavery. It's for years and years of generations of making bricks for Pharaoh. It was work. It was toil. It was sweat. There was no breaks, no vacations, no downtime. And when Moses first showed up and said, oh, we got to put an end to this, what did Pharaoh do? Oh, we're going to ramp it right back up again, actually. And he doubled the work, and they were doing more work, and it was exhausting. It was infuriating. But now, now they're about to enter into the promised land that God had promised them, he said, I've fulfilled my promise, we're almost there, and, and, and your time in Egypt and time in slavery is done. They wandered around for a few years because they were stubborn, but now that's done, and they're at kind of the very edge of the promised land, and God says, I'm going to lead you into some rest. Well, what's that the picture of? It's the picture of, okay, all this is over. Ah, We're here. It's rest. It's peace. It feels good. God has completed his promise. But here's the great thing about the story of Exodus is that it's not really just about the Israelites being freed from slavery. It's about how Jesus Christ has rescued all of us from slavery, that that we all kind of have our own Exodus where God leads us into our promised land and he rescues us from kind of the slavery that we've been into sin to a place of victory, to a place of freedom, it, it, it kind of echoes the story of Jesus. And so for us, biblically, salvation is a picture of rest. Salvation is a picture of rest. And so we see this in a couple of different ways. One of them is that we understand that before Christ, we were not whole. We were not complete. Something was missing, fractured, broken. It was, we just weren't the full picture of who we were supposed to be. Yet you invite Christ into your lives. And what does Scripture say? Well, now, now you are a new creation. You're not lacking anything. You are made holy. It doesn't mean that you're done. It doesn't mean that there's no more growth to be done. But this picture of you being made new and whole in Christ has happened. So salvation is a picture of, ah, okay, there's some rest in there. But, but to look even bigger than that is to see that before Jesus, we had to earn everything. This is still the way this, the world operates this way. That you've got to earn everything. In order to achieve a certain level of value or significance or worth defines your identity, you've got to work towards it. You've got to earn it. It's blood, sweat, and tears. It's doing everything you can to make a name for yourself. It's I have got to get this job so I can feel this about myself. I've got to earn this much money so I can say I accomplished something. I've got to climb that ladder. I've got to get these grades to prove that I'm valuable and smart. I've got to get these letters in front of my name to show people that what I'm capable of. uh, We we just do this. i got to build a big enough platform because that's how I earn my place in this world. We even see it in people who who pursue social justice issues, and and I'm going to change the world, and I'm going to save the world, and I'm going to earn favor for the world and for myself and all of the things that I do. This is even in the way that we ask our kids, hey, what do you want to do when you grow up? It's not, who do you want to be when you grow up? So what are you going to do? How are you going to earn it? How are you going to work for it? What's your occupation going to be? And we tie work to our identity. We, we, we tie this picture of hustling and, and of, kind of this, this got to wake up and grind and do all the things to get at the top of the ladder. Because we, we've just associated that pace of life with value, with identity, and with success. What do we know that that really is? Slavery. You have to earn it, work harder, prove yourself. You got to climb to the top. It's no different than being stuck in Egypt. It's no different than Pharaoh saying, I'm not satisfied, do more. And that's, that's the way that the world operates. That's the way that people kind of live their lives by. And it's more work and it's less rest. Because if you rest, you can't get ahead. If you take a break, you won't accomplish all those things. And yet in Christ, we believe fully that our value and our worth and our identity is found in him. We are who he says we are, and he gives us salvation as a gift. We could not earn it. There is no way we could have worked hard enough to achieve it. We couldn't have done it ourselves, and there's nothing we could have done where he said, all right, I think you've done enough. He just gives it to us, grace, a free gift. And it's basically Jesus saying, I did the work. So that you don't have to. I did the work. And so because the work is done, Pharaoh's gone, Egypt is in the rear view, and I am made whole in Christ, there's a picture of entering into rest with God that is much bigger than a nap, much bigger than some downtime. In fact, what was the very last thing he says on the cross? It is finished. What's finished? The need for you to have to strive to get saved. The need for you to work hard enough to get to heaven. The need for you to have to prove yourselves. Christ did it for us on the cross. In other words, Sabbath and rest is a way of saying, I've got nothing more to prove. There's Nothing I could have done. To it's done. God did it. He did the work for me. In fact, this is one of the reasons that God introduces Sabbath into our world and, and, and calls us to live in this rhythm of work and then rest. It's to remember what God has done for us. You see this in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12. This is Moses speaking on behalf of God. And he says, "...observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. You have six days each week for your ordinary work." But the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your oxen and donkeys and other livestock and any foreigners. All your male and female servants may rest as you do. So you think about that. The literal slaves didn't have to work on the Sabbath. The animals got the day off. God means what he says about Sabbath. And he goes on to say, remember that you were once slaves in Egypt, but the Lord your God brought you out with his strong hand and powerful arm. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to rest on the Sabbath day. Why? To remember what God has done for you. Remember that this is where you were and this is where he brought you. You've got six days for everything else, but this day is set apart. This day is different. This day requires different actions. This day requires everyone to be in the exact same role. There is no kind of hierarchy on the Sabbath. Notice that. No one's above anyone else on the Sabbath. Work is done. We're at rest. It's different. He calls it something completely different. In fact, you can see you go back to creation again. Day one, he's finished, and he's like, oh, I was good. Day two is good. Day three, four, five, they're all good. Day six, he makes humans, and he says it's very good. Switches it up a bit. He likes us. Day seven is not good or very good. It's something else entirely. This is verse three of that Genesis passage. It says, and God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, because it was the day when he rested from all the work of his creation. It's holy It's not just good. It's not just very good. It is completely other and set apart and different. It's holy because God rested. God is holy, which means anything he does is holy, which means rest is holy. Sleep is holy. Amen. Now, that does not mean that people should skip church and stay home and lay in bed and say, hey, Mark said it was holy. Also, don't come to church and fall asleep. It doesn't make you doubly holy. It's... <laughs> rest is good and holy. It's set apart. It's different. And so I want us to see how God feels about this Sabbath to such a degree that this is what he did. This is what he said. It's what he called us to. It's what he, he invites us into this pace of work and then rest because you can't just keep going all the time without refilling and recharging. Sabbath is a great reminder to us that the world spins without us. Everything's going to get done whether you do it or not. There's a little bit of freedom in that way of thinking. Just a good reminder that God doesn't need any of us to do anything. He lets us. He invites us to do things for him. He invites us into the privilege of being a part of his family and in his kingdom, but he doesn't need us to do anything. He, he could use anyone to do anything that he wanted to, right? And sometimes think that we convince ourselves, well, if I don't do it, nobody will. If I don't pick up the slack, it's never going to get done. Someone around here is going to do some work, and everything without me is just going to go terribly, Do you know anyone like that? Are you that person? (laughs) I think we're all a little bit that person sometimes. You even see this in the church. I've heard other Christians, I've heard pastors justify insane schedules and workaholism by saying, well, it's for the kingdom. People are going to hell, and if I don't get out there and tell them about Jesus, who's going to do it? Man, God could use anybody. He could use anyone. He doesn't need you. You think God and all of his power, his sovereignty, you think God with his spirit actually is depending on me to go, if Mark Brewer doesn't get out there and put his little tiny human body to work, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, at its worst, it's incredible arrogance. At, At its best, it might only just be a complete lack of trust. I don't think either one of them is good. God needs me. No, he doesn't. You need him. We need to stop justifying our drive to keep going as if somehow something is dependent on it. Rest is a reminder that God's got this thing under control. And we need him. Remember, he is the one who does the work. Remember that he is the one who does the carrying. I hear people justify their poor relationships with their family. i got to work seven days a week and all the overtime I can. I'm not taking any vacation because I can provide for my family. Lies. God is your provider. Scripture tells us that Jehovah Jireh will be your provider, not you if you work hard enough. So spend time with your family and love your kids and steward the people that God has entrusted you with. We will honor him in the way that we rest and love one another, not the way that we work ourselves into some kind of crazy stupor. Our world is lying to us about the need to just go and go and strive and earn and perform. We don't need to do any of it. 20 chapters later, we see how this all plays out in the book of Joshua. Chapter 21, verse 43. It says, So the Lord gave to Israel all the land He had sworn to give their ancestors, and they took possession of it and settled there, and the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as He had solemnly promised their ancestors. None of their enemies could stand against them. The Lord helped them conquer all their enemies. Not a single one of the good promises the Lord had given to the family of Israel was left unfulfilled. Everything he had spoken had come true. They had rest on every side. How good does that sound? Rest on every side. And especially for them. Remember, these are a people who have never experienced rest. They've never had rest on every side. They've never known what it's like to be settled at home and and to not have to always check their back, to always have people scouting to wonder if there's some kind of surprise ambush coming from their enemies. For the first time, they get to sit and go, we're here. It's done. It's finished. He did it. And they rested. Rest on every side he did the work, they just obeyed. And they got to experience what that was like. Man, I want us to experience what rest on every side is. Doesn't that sound good? Doesn't that sound like, man, okay, that's, rest on every side sounds wonderful. There's the picture of this fullness, this wholeness, this, this completeness where I think we just need to reclaim the Sabbath. And, and we need to celebrate on it. And we need to remember what God has done for us on the Sabbath. We need to make sure that we're using it the way that God intended us to use it. It's a gift from Him. And we have to live in the rhythm that He gave us of work and then rest and then work and then rest because nothing can run forever without needing to be refilled, including us. And so I want you to, man, look at your calendar Think about how your life is scheduled and ask yourself, is Sabbath really happening for me and my family? Is there really a time that we're prioritizing rest? Or as a family, do we feel always in a hurry, overbooked, overscheduled, always kind of just at the mercy of whatever the calendar says that day? Do you have quiet in your life? Do you have Sabbath in your life? And, and sometimes I think the church has been guilty of kind of making your life be even busier, that we have been the one to fill your, your calendar, that we have been the one to fill up your schedules, and, and here's more events and more ministries and more things to do, and, and you better do these things, and you better come and, and do all the stuff. And man, if we as a church believe that Sabbath is holy and good and will lead us to completeness and health, what we should be doing is setting you up to experience rest and Sabbath for your families, for our church. And Jesus modeled this for us. He was always going off on his own. He would, he would perform a miracle and a huge crowd would gather around and they'd be like, whoa, do it again. Can you heal me? Can you come talk to me? And, and he'd be like, oh, well, I'm leaving now. And he would just leave and go off on his own to be alone and to pray. There was one time he actually fled a crowd and made his disciples get on a boat and go to the other side of the lake. And what did he do when he was on that boat? He napped. It's great. He modeled this for us. He said, I don't need to always be where people are demanding me to perform. I don't always have to do everything people want me to do. Even when it's good things, it's okay to say no and leave. So the next time that, that you know, someone kind of guilts you into something and says, well, no, you need to do this. You know, No, I, I, I don't. Or maybe maybe you're the one who says to yourself, well, I don't need a nap. I don't need to rest. Then you, do you think you're better than Jesus? Do you think you're stronger than Jesus himself who needed naps and downtime? No, we've got to do this. So here's Here's what we can do. Here's what I want us to work towards. I want you to to find a day that you can make your Sabbath if you don't have one. And I I want you to fight for this. I want this to matter. I want this to be something that you value and that you pursue. If you don't have one, start incorporating kind of some Sabbath rest into your life. You've got to say no to some things. You might have to say no to good things. You might have to kind of tell people why you're choosing not to do things with them. Uh, you're already busy with nothing. That's great. And someone might even call you on it and say, well, what are you doing? And you can just say, nothing, but not with you, right? It's just, I'm just, put it on the calendar and prioritize it and say, this is going to be rest and, and here's another thing that's been helpful for me is we've tried to pursue this better as a family. Make sure that whatever time you say is going to be your Sabbath, your day off, whatever that looks like, make sure that it doesn't just turn into the automatic catch-all for the 48 errands you've got to run that day. I'll, I'll, I'll do the dishes, I'll mow the lawn, and we'll run out to the 14 stores we've got to go get to. That's not Sabbath, that's errands. That's Chores. That's not Sabbath at all, and so what you might have to do is actually proactively work so that you can rest. You might actually have to set yourself up so that when your time of Sabbath comes, it's protected and empty and can be exactly what it is you want it to be. In other words, you're done, complete, finished all the stuff so that you can actually Sabbath and you can find rest. You've got to proactively work for your rest. And if you're thinking, where in the world do you think I'm going to find a spare 24 hours to kind of incorporate rest? Because the reason we talk about this is that I'm guessing a lot of people don't have a spare 24 hours. And so we're going to have to start undoing some things. You might have to start kind of incorporating it in slowly. Maybe you've got a morning. Start there. You've got an afternoon or an evening. Start there. Start to develop Sabbath rest into your life. If you've got kids, this is family time. If you've got kids, make this deliberate where, you're, where you've got the attention of your children and you're all engaged in something that's not a phone or Fortnite or whatever it is and say, no, we're, we're going to Sabbath as a family. And then you just, you do whatever fills you up. I mean, that's the goal, right? You remember and you celebrate, man, God's done all the work. So what do we want to do to celebrate that and fill ourselves up? And, and because as soon as you make Sabbath into this legalistic affair, you've missed it. As soon as you're, well, would I be allowed to do this on the Sabbath? As soon as you're there, it's gone. The Sabbath is not legalism, it's freedom. It's a time when you can say, all right, let right, we've worked to get to this point so that we can take this day and this time and, and make it the thing that will recharge me and refresh me. And, and that's the thing about it is we talked about this with community last week, that everyone thinks about it different, everyone experiences it differently, and that might be the same with you and with whatever recharges you. I know people who recharge in solitude. Being alone is the thing. Their battery just goes, whoa, and it's great. I know people who that is very draining for, and they've got to be with people to recharge. And so you've just got to find out, all right, what things in my life fill me up and recharge me, and then do those things. There's no rule to the Sabbath. God has given you freedom to celebrate and do what you need to do. And so work at that and fight for that and value it. It's not, this is not life advice. This is scripture. This is the words of God saying, you need to do this because it's good for you and good for the church and good for the kingdom. We believe that rest is holy and biblical and is beneficial for all of us. Amen? So, to help us get there, as a church, we've made a few decisions this year to kind of pursue rest. Rest. And I should clarify that as we talk about this vision series we're in, this is not remotely the strategic unveiling of our 10-point plan to accomplish these things. This is us every week just saying, man, this is the heart behind what we're believing God is calling us to. I don't have a plan, but we're just going to take it a day at a time and see what he tells us, and we're going to be okay with that. But we are kind of proactively making some decisions so that this isn't just talk for us. Uh, so the first thing we're going to do is this. The last three or four years, we have done an event here at the church on a Halloween night called Trunk or Treat. And we have parked cars over there, south campus, not the theater, over here in this parking lot. And um, we, we've invited people decorate their cars, and we align them all up, and we have a barbecue, and we have hot chocolate, and, and people kind of come trick-or-treating trunk to trunk. It's been fun. It's not been a bad event, but we're not doing it this year. And there's a few reasons behind that. One of them is actually connected to community. I think that it's important that you should be in your community on Halloween. I think that's a fantastic chance for you to see your neighbors and connect with the people who live on your street, for you to be present there. I think it's a great chance for you to walk around with your kids, and connect with your neighborhood and be there. The last few decades, the church has gotten to this way of thinking where outreach was have an event at the church and just bring everyone here all the time. Everything's happening at the church. And uh, that doesn't, it seems like inreach more than outreach. And uh, I think there's something to be said about not always forcing our families to be out of their neighborhoods to do church, but encouraging our families to stay in their neighborhoods and be church. It's also one less thing that parents have to worry about on an already hectic and chaotic night, and you can be with your family, you can do what you want to do, the calendar's empty for a night, and we believe that's the right decision to make for us this year. So, there is no trunk or treat. The other thing that we're doing um, might be a little bit more larger and more surprising to you. Uh, We're not gonna do C4 this year. We are not going to do Cross Points Christmas at the convention and or Curry Center. Um, Now, again, that's been an awesome event. We have done this for many, many years. Um, It has been, we did it at the Curry Center last year. It might have been one of my most favorite services that we have ever done as a church. Absolutely loved it. We got hit by a major ice storm, and only about 30% of the people we thought would show up could actually get on the roads. Um, So I've loved it. It's been wonderful, and we're not doing it. So let me explain. Um, One reason behind this is that we believe of all the big celebrations that the church kind of does each year, of all of those, I think Easter should be the one that we party the most at. It's not to diminish Christmas, but Easter's the big one. Easter is the cross, it's death, it's resurrection, it's new life, it's salvation. Everything hinges on Easter. And, and, and so, we've, we've always made Christmas the big spectacle, and Easter's just kind of been here. And it's been good, but we want to flip things around this year. And so, this year, we're actually going to do Easter at the Curry Center. And we're going to make that our big weekend service, invite everyone there, and party well at Easter, and, and preach the gospel, and have it be great. There's also a much better chance that there will not be an ice storm. Yes, Jesus, amen. <laughs> it is not a guarantee in New Brunswick but there's a better chance. Um, The other reason that we're not doing C4 this year is that we believe that Christmas is already hectic enough. It's an absolutely crazy time. You're being pulled in a ton of different directions, and... um, it takes a massive amount of volunteers to pull this thing off, to plan it, to do all the practices, to be there, to set up, to do all just it, the weight that other people carry on this is a ton. And it's time away from your family when you should be with family, it's time away from rest when you should have some rest. And it feels a little backwards for Christmas anyway. Christmas was a fairly low key, humble event in Scripture. And so we're not going to do it. And I think our staff team and their families and their volunteers and their families and our church people kind of, I, I don't want to burn people out at church because of doing church. Does that make sense? And I think we do the kingdom a disservice when we ask for so much from people and, and it ends up kind of backfiring. We, we say serve, 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 but we rarely say rest, 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 rest. And so this year we want to rest well. We're going to have Christmas services still. They're just going to be right here. And we're actually going to do what we would do at Easter, the 23rd. Still going to be the 23rd. It's a Sunday. We'll be here. We'll add an extra service, but it'll be a pretty laid back affair. We might actually have the chance to have candles. It'll be wonderful. We might burn the place down. It's all right. And just joking. I'm joking. Um, forget I said that. Uh, I think that'll be really good for us, and I already can kind of express to you how it's felt for a lot of people who have carried C4 for so many years to know that it's not happening this year. The weight they're walking around with right now in the fall is just like, oh, oh, this is wonderful. It feels good. We can still have Christmas and celebrate and have it be great and, and not try and kill ourselves to do it. Church, we're not going to get rest on every side until we work for it. We're not going to get rest on every side unless we aim for it. And so this year is a year that we're proactively going to do the things we believe that will give us rest because we believe that it is holy. We believe that it is health. We believe that it is what God has called us to do. And I want that for you. I want that for your families. I want that for our church. And so let's find some rest Let's recharge. Let's take care of the life God has given us, the family that God has given us. Let's steward that well. And I believe that we will honor him as we pursue that. Amen. Amen.